Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, today we are wrapping up our series, What's After Life? And I want to do so in a special way. I want to take you on a tour of the city of God. I want you to imagine that day when you take that tiny step from this life into the next life, which for Christians will be the beginning of the life you've always longed for. Now, by way of review, the Bible is really clear that heaven is a gift received by faith in Jesus. Relationship with God, you don't have to earn it. And anyone who wants it can have it. He wants you if you want him. And everyone who puts their faith, their trust in Jesus will be saved. They'll be made right with God. So heaven is a free gift. But how we live this life really does affect the experience of the life to come. And that's why today I want to inspire you to live all out, fully surrendered to doing the will of God so that you live your best life now and forever. You know, John, Jesus' youngest disciple, writes in the book of Revelation about an experience he had that was much like the people who have had these near-death experiences. He had it in his old age. The risen Jesus appeared to him while he was exiled for his faith on the island of Patmos. And he's taken up into heaven and shown the city of God, the new Jerusalem. And just listen to how he describes it in Revelation 21, 10 to 27. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. He, the angel, measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, which is about 1,400 miles, and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it and nothing impure will enter into it nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, I'll be honest. I, I used to read passages like this and I would think of a kind of gaudy 80s televangelist set and it really didn't appeal to me at all. But if you think about it on a deeper level, This is a world of mystical wonder, 
I mean, they're describing something that is real and tangible. But whereas everything on earth is made of the earth, of dirt, wood, stone, elements of the earth, everything in heaven is made of the light and love and life of God. Which (laughs) trying to describe that is like trying to describe three dimensions of color in two-dimensional black and white terms. It's nearly impossible. And yet as you listen to people who have clinically died and been resuscitated describe their experience of this city to come, it's a real city with real people, real beauty, a place of mystical wonder. It's a place where those who love God get to live together forever. And it's the place we will finally feel at home. Captain Dale Black was a commercial airline pilot. He had a plane crash in Los Angeles where everyone died. And he came back to describe flying into the city, the new Jerusalem, with two angels flanking him. And I want you to listen to how this PhD, this aeronautical engineer, describes this very real place. And I want you to imagine the day that you come into this beautiful place, this place that you'll call home. Watch. In your book, you describe flying into, is it the new Jerusalem? What is it? Uh, and, uh, and describe the beauty and what you saw. I get this incredible uh, airborne view, a descending, slowing down airborne view of the city of gold. And it's city, it's a city that's walled. O- over the city were majestic mountains that were as gorgeous as any that could be ever seen. However, they did not look that different than earth. I wasn't disappointed by that. I'm not saying that. I noticed snow. So think about that. Snow. What does that mean? Atmosphere, temperature, snow. What's that all about? I noticed flying birds later. What does that mean? Uh, These are the kind of questions I ask. Okay, if a bird is to fly, it can't be a vacuum. I'm hearing music. What does that mean? Music can't transfer in a vacuum. It has to be in an atmosphere. There's atmosphere here in heaven. Oh, what does that mean? And you're flying, but you don't have wings. Right, I'm floating is what I would call it. I'm floating and coming in, descending. And finally, I come down and touch ground level for a while and I'm hovering between 40 feet-ish and down. And uh, But I, I recognize later, oh, there was gravity there. There is gravity, there is atmosphere, there's water, there are animals. Oh yeah, oh, see it all makes sense now. So this is a real place. And Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to this place and one day you're gonna join me there. You know, Christian NDEers talk about this beautiful place. And it's fascinating that these people who have had near death experiences, they all have slightly different perspectives. It's kind of like, interviewing people on the street who saw an accident. They all see things a little bit differently, different memories, different perspectives. But when you put it all together, it creates this cohesive picture. And Dale here was describing this paradise. And I'm not 100% sure that this is correct, but some NDEers talk about paradise as the outskirts, the countryside around the city of God, which is called the New Jerusalem. Now that's fascinating because the thief hanging on the cross next to Jesus who professed faith in Jesus right before he died, in that last moment, Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And apparently paradise is this gorgeous countryside like earth where many people begin 
and it kind of acclimates them to heaven. And then they go on this journey toward the center, toward the place where God is, because apparently not everybody's ready to go straight into the city, right up to the center. You know, Howard Storm, the atheist college professor we heard from last week, who experienced Jesus rescuing him out of this hellish experience, he said they were headed toward this city, this incredibly brilliant light. And suddenly he felt like he couldn't go any further. So they stopped. And right there, Jesus gave him a life review. But he learned a whole lot from Jesus in that. And finally, he he could said, I could see this city out there as far off in the center. There's this brilliant light and a multitude singing, right? Dale said the same thing. There's a multitude in the center of the city singing praises to God. But Howard asked Jesus a question. He said, so what happens to people when they're going toward the center, but they aren't ready? Jesus said, they freeze up. Howard said, what do you mean they freeze up? He said, well, they just lock up and they think about themselves and the things in their soul they need to work on. Now, isn't that interesting? They want to move forward, but they're not ready to, which I'm not totally sure how all that fits with what the scripture says, but I would say this. That's why you want to work on your stuff now, right? Work on it now. And the point, the goal of it all is intimacy with God. The goal is full surrender, full harmony with the will of God. Because not everyone enters heaven in the same place of understanding of the knowledge or will of God. And it seems just like there are prime properties here on earth and those who have the most money or the most power, they can get those prime properties. Well, in heaven, there are prime properties too. And the closer you get to the center of the city, apparently the more spectacular your experience of the life of God will be. And the currency of heaven, it's the currency of faith and love and faithfulness to God. So not everyone immediately goes right into the city of God or right up to the center. Evidently, some are not ready for it. You know, maybe they live on the outskirts, still enjoying all the amazing sights and sounds and wonders of the beauty of God's creation and relationships. But those who have lived more fully surrendered apparently have a fuller experience of heaven. Folks, I believe that's what the talk of rewards in the Bible is all about. And I know this is bothersome for some Christians, But Jesus is absolutely clear that how we live this life really does affect our experience in the life to come. That this life is really just a test. It's a test to see how faithful you and I will be with what God has entrusted to us now. I mean, all of our money, it's just like monopoly money. All our properties, they're just like those little plastic pieces and they all go back in the box when the game of life is over. And the only thing that goes with us is how you played the game, how you honored God, how trustworthy you were to God. That's what matters most. And Jesus was very clear on this. Luke 16, 9 to 11 says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in larger ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? The riches of heaven are, are the things that last. 
And Jesus says this life is just a test of our faithfulness to God. Now, I believe there is actually growth in heaven, that we continue to grow and learn and explore. Otherwise, we'd be God, right? We continue to grow in knowledge and understanding of God. But where we start and what we begin to experience in heaven is determined by how we live in this life. So all the things the Bible says about honoring God, giving our financial resources to help build his kingdom, serving others, all those things matter for eternity. I mean, think about it like this. It's like investing in heaven's stock market, which never goes down. And when we're faithful to God here on earth, when we do what he wants in small ways or big ways, it shapes our eternal standing. So imagine one day you're coming up to this city and you're about to see your new home. I mean, how cool will that be? Jesus talked about this in John 14 too. He said, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. Now there are two distinct Greek words here. My father's house, that's the word oikos. It literally means this larger dwelling place for the extended family and relatives. But then when he says dwelling places, that's the Greek term mone, which can mean house or mansion or a dwelling of any size. In other words, it's all home to you. All of God's city is home to you, but you will also have your own special dwelling place created uniquely for you by the one who knows you best. Can you imagine? Can you imagine seeing the home that was designed by the creator of the universe who knows you better than you even know yourself? Imagine that as you listen to this. I could see, uh, we'll start from foreground to back if you like. Uh, I could see the townships, as I called them, homes that people lived in, homes that were likely to be created for the people of heaven. Interestingly enough, they struck me by not so much the size as the architecture. I know nothing about architecture hmm. at all. I still don't. But uh, I recognize that there was something divine about the architecture of the buildings. There were small, what we would call like uh, condos here. There were single family residences that we would call here. There were huge palaces. And I could see that, but... And this like, is all inside the wall? On the other around. side of the wall, I saw none of this. And how big is this city? I mean, can you tell? I could not tell other than it was beyond the horizon both directions. There's countryside inside, so that it's a, it's gorgeous, beautiful, all of the adjectives times a thousand. So just imagine your excitement as you're about to enter into and explore this incredible city. And it's huge. I mean, John in Revelation 21 said the angel measured it in human measurements and it was 1,400 square miles and just as tall. It's a mysterious city. It's clear as crystal. Some NDEers describe it like this clear, transparent crystal palace. But it's gold too, which doesn't quite make sense. And it's also made of love woven together. That's a mystery beyond our dimensionalities. And while the footprint's about half the size of the United States, it's also that tall in three dimensions. So it's big enough for all humanity, really. And your welcoming committee, they can't wait to show you around. 
They want to show you the custom home they've been working on for you under the master designer who knows you best. So imagine you start to go up toward the city wall, right? And to, and to enter the gates. And Betty Malls, a Christian who died and was resuscitated, describes what it felt like coming up to the entrance. She said, my emotion was a combination of feelings, youth, serenity, fulfillment, health, awareness, tranquility. I had arrived at where I'd always dreamed of being. The wall to my right was higher now, and it was made of multicolored, multi-tiered stones. A light from the other side of the wall shone through a long row of amber-colored gems several feet above my head. Topaz, I thought to myself. I not only heard singing, I felt the singing, and I joined the singing, and suddenly I realized I was singing the way I had always wanted to, in high, clear, sweet tones. The voices burst forth in more than four parts, but also in different languages. I was awed by this because I could understand them all. The angel stepped forward and put his palm, the palm of his hand, upon a gate, which I had not noticed before. About 12 feet high, the gate was a solid sheet of pearl with no handles and some lovely scroll work at the top of its Gothic structure. The pearl was translucent so that the atmosphere inside the city was somehow filtered through. My feeling was of ecstatic joy and anticipation at the thought of going inside. Wow. Do you remember what it was like as a little kid on Christmas morning? How you're about to burst with excitement. It's going to be better than that. And there's only one requirement to enter into this city. I want you to listen to what Dale and Don experienced as they came up to this gate, which, by the way, is an arch through the wall that the angel measured as being 216 feet thick. So it's actually a tunnel through the wall. But listen to how they describe exactly what John said in Revelation that the 12 gates were 12 pearls and nothing evil will be allowed to enter. Only those whose names are written in the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Check this out. And at this magnificent gate, a very large uh, uh, wall, a uh, very thick wall, and, uh, but it could, there's a gate and it looks like the inside of an oyster. It's a, it's a gate made of pearl. Uh, really quite dazzling, very br brilliant, very beautiful. It almost looks like it's pulsating with life, except I, I know it's the light reflecting off the gate that make it, makes it look that way. The arch and the tunnel was the same substance. It was not stone, but it was in the stone. But what was the substance? It, the substance was pearl. It, it looked like liquefied pearl and when the light from the throne room, that's the only light that there is, emanated through, it just bounces off the pearl. There's no shadows and there's no darkness at all and there's no need for unnatural or artificial light. Mm. It is, it is a, a sight to behold and welcomed me to go through it, but I, I couldn't go through it at that time. Well, later I found, after I looked at this angel and looked over, uh, I began to communicate from my heart to his heart. You know, would I be able to go through? Is, is that what you're wanting me to do? Because I really wasn't directing the shots mm -hmm. and I was in no position to say I want to do anything. The large angel, the largest one, which was standing in, to the side in front of the gate, uh, began to move in front of the gate and just lovingly, I mean, incredibly lovingly, 
uh, let me know that, sure, I can come in if your name is written in the book. And the book opens, and it opens just to the right page, to the correct page. And in that page is my name. I began to understand that every human creation is written in this book. And unless their name is blotted out, see, I didn't, I don't know anything, I, I don't know about this right now, but the name of my name was not blotted out. And that was seemingly important. I'm going This back. is just an understanding that came to you? Everything comes into the heart. But you understood. I understood. That your name was in there, it was not blotted out. Not blotted so you out. think that was the book of life? I, I believe it is now that I've come back and, and, and read about it. I believe that's exactly what it was. And the first date was March 21st, 1949. I didn't recognize that date. And then there was June 27th. 1961, and uh, that'll date me, but I don't care. You know, that dates me, but these are two dates that I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out their significance, and they're connected to my name. What's that all about? And everybody that's there, my two angels, the two other angels that are there, my welcoming committees over there, everybody's just joyous. They're folks so full of love and joy. And I'm not worried, but I'm wondering what all this is and what are these numbers and what do they mean? And then I begin to understand, oh, this is the day of my creation. This is when God created me. Not, this, your, not your birthday before that. Yeah, not my birthday. But and the second was, date? And the second date was the day I received Jesus into my heart and life. And Jesus promised all of this. In Revelation 3, 5, Jesus says, I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. They are mine. See, that's the most important question. Are you his? Do you belong to him? Like we've been saying throughout this whole series, if you want him, he wants you. All you have to do is put your faith in him. Jesus did all the work for you when he died on the cross to pay for your sins. That alone makes you worthy to enter in because he paid the price for all of our wrongs. But that payment is only applied to those who trust in Jesus. Do you belong to him? Boy, if you don't know that for sure, put your faith in him today. So again, imagine you're about to enter into this city and they all say the same thing. Here's what Don Piper said as he was about to enter in. I continued to step closer to the gate, assuming I would go inside. My friends and relatives were all in front of me, calling, urging, inviting me to follow through this iridescent gate. As we came closer, the music increased and became more vivid. The closer we got, the more intense, alive, vivid everything became. And just as I reached the gate, my senses were even more heightened. I felt deliriously happy. Imagine that day, like Christmas morning, but so much better. Oh, you go through the gate, enter this city bursting with life. You see gardens and parks and streets and trees and amphitheaters, and all these things are made of otherworldly substances. Not totally unlike Earth, but new as well. And you're trying to take it all in, and your relatives or your friends, they're showing you around and 
finally, they bring you to your house. They've actually been helping to construct it under the design of the great designer, God himself. And he has constructed something uniquely for you, perfectly suited for your taste. I mean, imagine that. For some of you, you're probably going to have like a 200-inch, supernaturally high-def, 20-dimension TV with a video game console to end all video game consoles, right? Or, or perhaps, as opposed to virtual reality, it'll be reality. You'll probably be a live player in an action or adventure game to end all adventure games with eternal levels to explore. I mean, whatever you can imagine here, God will make it a thousand times cooler, I'm sure. And apparently, there are different homes from different periods of human history, all beautifully designed, perfectly suited for each inhabitant. You know, one of the most fascinating near-death experiences I heard about actually came from the 1890s, way before medical resuscitation. Rebecca Springer talks about her brother-in-law showing her a home in heaven that he had been a part of helping to build for her and her husband. And she described her home as this beautiful two-story with verandas wrapping around the home with marble columns and exquisite sitting rooms. Now, things that you would love in the 1800s, but maybe not now. And she talked about how her relatives had homes nearby and how they would visit each other's homes. She said they would go and enjoy a day at the lake nearby. Yes, there are lakes in heaven. But get this, they are full of the living water of God. And in these lakes, you don't have to hold your breath. You can breathe underwater. And when you come out, they say you're dry and you have this cleansing experience, this exhilarating experience that many NDEers say is like a healing. You know, the Bible alludes to all of this. And if you want, you can explore more of it in John Burke's book, Imagine Heaven. It's wondrous and mysterious, but it's real. More real, they say, than this life. And then imagine that Jesus comes up to you and he explains to you the work that you'll be doing. Work? I, I thought this was retirement. No, there's work. But it's work when work is your passion. You ever had that kind of feeling when you're just in the zone, when you're loving your job? That's what it's going to be like. A Colton Burpo, a four-year-old kid who had a near-death experience, was telling his father about it. And his father, who's a pastor, asked him, what was your favorite part of heaven? And Colton shocked him. He said, my homework. His dad said, homework? Colton said, yeah, Jesus would come and give me assignments to do. That was my favorite part. See, work in heaven is glorious. It's like when you've gotten lost in a project. Sometimes that happens to me when I'm writing a sermon or when I'm playing music. I get in a zone and I, I'm just loving it. See, in heaven, time's irrelevant, right? There's no pressure, no deadlines. And the work of heaven will be a delight. So there is work and responsibility in heaven. I mean, that's what we were created to do. You know, back in Genesis chapter one, before the fall, before sin, before the frustration and decay and disease and computer viruses, right? Work was blissful. It's what we were created to do, to co-create, to oversee with God. Listen to how Dr. Mary Neal describes the people inside the city staying busy about God's work. So coming up to this dome structure, maybe was it a city? Could you tell? 
Was there something inside? Well, was there an entrance into it? There was an entrance. It was a big arched entrance and a wide threshold. What did that look like, that entrance? Well, similarly, it was almost like the old Roman block arches, but again, these blocks were uh, seemingly solid looking, but not. They were really woven together with love, which is nonsensical. Uh, but but you were aware of a structure yes, and art? Yes, it seemed structural to me. And was there, and you know, the gate of heaven or a It gate? wasn't, well, I don't, there wasn't a gate. When it was gate. just an archway. Yeah. And I would say again that if I had any inclination that I was coming back, I would have tried to make more mental notes because many of the questions are the same questions that I ask myself now. And I will say that I was able to see many, again, people, angels, spirits, I'm not sure, very busy. And I don't know what they were doing. Inside the Inside, they were all very busy. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, but they were doing something and clearly doing God's work. They're all doing God's work. Just imagine if you love to create, being asked to create for the president of the universe and then being asked to display your work. Imagine having all the time in the world for that musical composition or that art project that you never had time for on earth. Imagine having all the time in the world to research, explore, discover, develop, to build for the one who built the entire universe. NDEers describe all of this. Artists creating art like they've never seen before. Musicians working together to create music like they've never heard before. People traveling and exploring universes that have never been explored before. Every joy and delight of mankind here on earth, but magnified a thousand times over. Now, let me take a quick aside here. Every once in a while, someone will talk to me. They'll bemoan the fact that there won't be sex in heaven. I'm going to keep this rated PG, okay? But people honestly sometimes think, well, sex is like the best thing I enjoy here on earth. If it's not going to happen there, heaven will be boring. That, that's a lie from the enemy. Come on. I mean, you really believe that God would create something really good here and have it remain in this broken, fallen world where everything's just an incomplete, limited, messed up version of heaven and not have an experience that will blow that away in heaven? No way. By all accounts, the experiences we have up there will be a thousand times more intense, more wonderful, more powerful. Let me toss a C.S. Lewis quote your way. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. In his classic book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis elaborates upon this. He says, the happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between a man and a woman on this earth is mere milk and water. I mean, sex will be the equivalent of making mud pies in a slum when we get to heaven. 
like mere milk and water, C.S. Lewis says. Nothing here on earth will compare to the stimulating experiences of heaven. Of that, you can be sure. Now let's go back to the work we will enjoy in heaven. Dr. George Ritchie, an MD and psychiatrist who had an NDE, said this, Jesus led me into this dazzling building with high ceiling corridors and people walking about buzzing with excitement. Everyone, it looked like, was enthralled in discovery and on the verge of some great new breakthrough. We entered a studio where music of a complexity I could not begin to follow was being composed. Next, we walked through a library the size of the whole University of Richmond. Here, I thought, are assembled the important works of the universe. But immediately I thought, that, that can't be possible. I mean, how could books be written somewhere beyond earth? But the thought persisted. These are the key works of the universe. See, part of the rewards of heaven are the types of projects, roles, responsibilities, creative endeavors, exploration, assignments that we get to do because we were faithful to God here on earth. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 19, I assure you that when the world is made new and the son of man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging, some versions say ruling, the 12 tribes of Israel. See, ultimately, God is gonna make everything new. Right now, heaven and earth are separated for a time and we're experiencing earth separate from heaven. But one day, God's gonna make everything new and rejoin all of it. And Jesus says, what we do in this life goes on into the next. And God rewards those who are faithful. In fact, Jesus gave us a little parable. He likens God to a wealthy man who's about to be made king. And this man entrusts his money to 10 servants. Says, use it for my business purposes until I come back as king. Then he returns as king. And in Luke 19, the first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. Well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. He's saying that God rewards our faithfulness. How faithful we've been to him determines how great the assignments. Because here's the deal, God's equipping us. He's equipping us to co-rule with him for eternity. And when you're faithful to God in the midst of sufferings, in the midst of hardships, that has a purpose. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if we endure hardship, we will reign with him. Now it's amazing, but Jesus said it. Some will govern, rule over angels, some over cities, some over nations, some over animals, some over various projects. It's going to be work, but life-giving work. But it's not all work and no play. And God's the originator of fun. Everything fun that we've ever invented here on earth is because God created us for play, exploration. I mean, if there's anything you love about culture, exploration, and fun, anything you've loved about this life, it's just a tiny taste of what God has in store for you. Listen as Don Piper describes this place you're about to live in as a Christian. Well, the gate is quite large. Um, 
uh, the, the, the gate itself, the entrance is small um, and the wall is very thick, but you can actually see through it. So I'm looking over these people and I can see through it. And there, there appears to be a, this massive boulevard that really kind of bisects the city and it is made of gold. But gold that is so pure, you can see through it. It's, it's, what do you mean? Well, you can actually see through the gold. It's gold and it's visible and tangible, but it is, it is pure. Now we can't imagine that here because gold on earth is one of the densest metals we have. But in heaven, it's so pure, you can see through it. So you can see under it. You can see even the roots of trees and things like that. There are trees there. In fact, the tree of life is there. Mm -hmm. uh, that we were not able to eat of here, we can eat of it there. And you can, you're looking through. I'm looking at the tree. I'm looking to the gates. I'm looking through the gates. I'm looking down the street. There is a river that flows from this, this throne or this hill that's high and lifted up. And I know that's the river of life because we're told that it flows from the throne of God. So uh, many of the things that we know and enjoy and love here uh, are visible there as well. Um, I would say this, and and. Um, Heaven's never going to be less than this. It's always going to be more. Yeah. So whatever you imagine here that is, is meaningful to you, to you, the relationships, the beauty, and let's face it, there's some glorious places yeah. on earth, but there should be because God created it. This is His place. So heaven's not going to be less than that. It's going to be more than that. There are structures on both sides of the, of the city. Uh, they look like uh, mansions to me. I mean, they're glorious places for people to dwell. Um, so it, it's just a, it's just a, an incredibly awesome, overwhelming, bustling place. It's not a boring place. There aren't any cherubs sitting around on clouds playing harps. This is an active, exciting, thrilling place. Thrilling a thrilling place. But the highlight of it all, at the very center of it all, is the God of light and love. If you didn't catch this from the many ND ears who continually said it, all the beauty and the wonderful people and all these new sights and sounds and colors, this new experience of senses, even flying, none of it compared to being in the presence of this God of light and love. Because what you'll realize is that in God's presence, you discover who you really are, how special you are to him, that you are a one of a kind, unique son, unique daughter created for him. And in his presence, you want nothing else. You never want to leave. So keep moving toward the center, toward God, toward intimacy, toward harmony with God, toward knowing his will, knowing him personally, because one day soon you will find your name in the book of life. And you will go through that gate and you will hear the king say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now enter into my joy. Let's pray. Lord, that's my prayer. It's my prayer for myself, my prayer for my brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now come, enter my joy. And as we wrap up this series, I just want to encourage any of you who are listening, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, just reach out to him right now. Say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. I believe you're my only hope. And so I'm putting my faith in you for forgiveness and eternal life. 
And for those of us who have that relationship, I pray that we would recognize that heaven, eternity, is what is truly valuable. It's what will last. And we will use every ounce of effort, our time, our treasure, and our talents to invest in the future, to put our resources in heavenly stocks that will never go down so that we will enter into an incredible, powerful, amazing experience in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.